All right, so really great things happening uh, at our church. Uh, transitions are always a little bit hard, but they're good. It's, it's a fresh season. We're excited to see what adventures await uh, Miranda. And of course, eventually when she graduates, if you get hurt, she can tend to you here. Uh, so uh, we're excited. If you're just visiting, I just want to welcome you. If you're joining us online, maybe you've been with us from the very beginning, mid-March, or, or maybe you're joining us for the very first time. Welcome. Glad you're here. Nestle into your couch, your chair, in your jammies. Grab your cup of coffee and enjoy this morning, continue to uh, enjoy this morning. We've been in this series that we have called New Creation People. Uh, We've been in it for several weeks, and what we're trying to do is dig deep to understand who are we? Who are we as Christ followers? In, In a world that is constantly trying to define us, and say, this is who you are because you think these things, what does the Bible say of who we are? Not just for us adults, but for our kids. What does the Bible say? You are Asher. Who are you? Now, let me just say something real quick. Asher, stand up, Asher, real quick. This kid is a stud. Asher, thank you for putting your mask on. See, he is so like he is on top of it. Grant Hansen doesn't even do that. Great job, Asher. Asher was manning the camera not too long ago. You may have seen him. You can have a seat, Asher. Asher is a servant. And what we want to do is we want to use the Bible, specifically the book of Ephesians, so that we can understand who are we as individuals. And let the Bible dictate that to us. Now, I I do want to say this. I have been thrilled with all the different people that have been able to preach throughout this series. We are gifted, and I hope you never take this for granted. We are gifted with so many incredible individuals that serve around here, specifically from a worship standpoint. Alex has some of the most amazing uh, musicians around. We have an incredible tech team that does things and fixes things that most of us have no idea even how to pronounce, and they can fix them. We have people that stand up here like Dan the past two weeks to deliver God's Word and using their gifts and skills. And I say that to honor you. You just honored us, and I want to reflect that back onto you, because a pastor is only so great as the people that make up the church. I've said this before, it'd be very lonely if you weren't here. I say that because we've been here before at the beginning of COVID when there was no one here. It's lonely, it's miserable. When we see you showing up, greeting people, shoveling snow, handing things out, running the camera running the computers upstairs, the church comes alive. And I just want to say thank you to you. This series really has been remarkable because it has spoken so specifically to us. Now, with that said, I want to give you some advice and some direction as we enter into Tuesday. Does everyone know what Tuesday is? Yeah, don't say it like, you know, you're about to be punished. It's voting day. Uh, If you don't know that, you're supposed to vote. Please go vote. You have a unique opportunity to bring the peace. Jesus describes himself as the prince of peace. You have the ability to bring peace wherever you are on Tuesday. Are you with me? No matter where you are, if you're with your family, if you're a student in school, if you're a parent, if you have a job, uh, you you have the ability to bring peace into that environment. And I just want to challenge you to do that, to make the conscious decision to do that. Vote, do your peace, and then bring peace 
uh, into this world. So we've been in this series uh, looking at the book of Ephesians. If you missed any of our previous messages, you can jump on our website, rockcreekchurch.org. You can catch up with those. Uh, There's also uh, a study uh, that will be coming along with this because it has been so great. So we want to provide a study afterwards. I'm going to ask you this morning to stand as we read this morning's passage. This is uh, in Ephesians chapter 4. This is on the heels of Dan's incredible message last week talking about uh, Jesus ascending on high and led the captives uh, in his training, gave gifts to men. What are those gifts? Why did he give those gifts? So we're piggybacking on Dan's incredible message. Again, if you missed that, please go back and catch that. We're picking it up in chapter 4, verse 11. And here is our passage this morning. It says this, it was he, uh, and he is referring obviously to Jesus. You can read the the first 10 verses to describe uh, the setting. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to which I do count it a privilege and an honor to be pastor to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, uh, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Alicia, this morning we have prayer every morning here at 915. You're all welcome. Alicia Arnett reminded me this passage says that as pastor I can't retire until everybody is unified and mature. So, Speed it up. Uh, Verse 14, then when we're mature and we have unity, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ, from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament, and Miranda, you've been a significant ligament in this church, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. That is the word of the Lord. You may have a seat. Throughout the years, people have confused churches with buildings, but this building isn't the church. Most of you know this. Who is the church? We are. We, we, you all, are the church. We meet in a building. We drive to a building. We park at a building and then walk into the building. But we, the building, isn't the church. You are. And the first thing that people should think of when we mention church is not a building, not a location, not not a specific address, but those individuals should think first and foremost of the individuals that they know who go to church in the positive sense. Now, we can reverse that and go, well, there's a negative attached to that too because a building is beautiful and people aren't, right? So sometimes we'd rather them think about the building and not the people. Because you all know this. Guess who is comprised in this room, in the lobby, and online? Sinners. And so in one way, we would almost rather them think about the building. But that's not true. It's not an address. But it's people characterized by their relationship with God and with one another. And one of the problems that churches 
often face, and this often happens in a, in a, like a church plant setting or, or a very, very young church, is that it's easy to lose track of what the church is really about. Because what we do is grasp for things, make quick decisions, knee-jerk reactions. Most businesses set out and then refine over time a fairly clear definition on why the business exists. Or I should say it in this way, a successful business does that so that there's clarity on why that particular business exists. They're generally clear on three things. This applies to our passage they are clear on their product. What are, you, what are you bringing forth from the business? They are clear on the process that they use to deliver that product. And then they're generally clear on the benchmark to measure success. Those are three things that if, if you're a business or you're starting out in a business or, or in our context, starting out planning a church, these are some things that you ought to have ironed out eventually over time. But they're, they're not always clear on everything. But most of these organizations know what they're trying to produce and if they're succeeding. If you're a student in this room, Got some students up here. You know that you go to school in order to get a certain level of education and learn some skills. Maybe they're people skills, maybe they're educational skills, so that you could go to the next grade and then go to the next grade and continue to progress. In other words, you will eventually learn two plus two equals four, and you don't have to learn that next year because you learned it today. Continuing to build your knowledge. That's what school is for. School's a lot harder nowadays because it's online, but nevertheless, that is the priority. And the benchmark to know whether or not school is actually uh, working is you have tests and quizzes and unit tests, etc., and, and eventually a diploma that says you actually hit your benchmark. There's a very clear direction for students. If you're a teacher, your product and, and your benchmark is to produce these students who have a greater knowledge, who have a greater understanding. If you're a care provider, your benchmark is how much care do you provide to the individual that's entrusted to you. If you're a parent, your benchmark is having a child who's eventually going to be mature. If you have sons, you're behind the eight ball. But if you have daughters, you're way ahead of the curve. But as a parent, you want to make sure your kids turn out like Miranda, right? Amen? Yes, everyone agrees with that. Sadly, churches tend not to be very clear on their product. You would think... Because the answer is always what? Yeah. You would, you would think our product and our benchmark and our process would be clear because you just throw Jesus out. That's our, that's our benchmark, but it doesn't work that way. And the result has been a lot of confusion about what the church should actually be trying to accomplish. Now, as I studied this morning's passage, I realized there's roughly about 25 different sermon topics in this passage. 
direction that we could go, things that we could camp out on. We could unpack the apostles and we could unpack evangelists and exactly what that means in the Greek and the Hebrew and really parse that out and help you understand. We could go into uh, what Jesus talks about with the knowledge and, and maturity and unity and wholeness. We could talk about being tossed back and forth with the waves. We could go a million different directions. I say this because I may or may not hit your desire for this passage. I know that. But I know also you don't want to be here for three hours. So what we're going to do is we're going to focus specifically on the church, on you, on your gifts and your skills. When I became a pastor starting in 1996, I, got, I received my first call to be a full-time youth pastor at a church in Ventura, California, just north of Los Angeles. And I discovered very, very quickly at a young age that a lot of people believed that the primary purpose of the church was really great programming and a lot of programs. In other words, keep people busy do a lot of things. Why? Because that's what we, quote, should be doing. Eugene Peterson, he's an author, theologian, pastor, said that, quote, one of the dangers of church leadership today is that it's easy to become nothing more than a program director. And I can tell you from experience, that is the pull of the American church. may not be the church around the world, but it certainly is within the American church. But the church doesn't exist to run programs. Or for that matter, to even put on church services. Stay with me. These things can be useful. Programs can be useful. Church services can be useful. But it's not the desired product. It's not the, the product that we measure our success. That's not how we measure if we're doing what the Lord wants. You see, when programs become the goal of the church, then the church simply exists to keep people busy and to keep them happy. And the last thing that I ever want to do for any of you is make you busy. Just to make you busy. Or for that matter, to make you happy just to make you happy. That's not my job. That's not my calling. That's not the church's job. That's not the church's calling. God created the church more than program and services. Some churches think that uh, the product is attendance. Have, have any of you ever visited a church that way, that, that is so thrust attendance, that we've got to have the most people, and we've got to fill every single seat, and that's our measure on whether or not we're doing well. The reality is the two easiest numbers to count in a church are what? Attendance and offering. So it makes sense why churches historically would say, that's how we know if we're doing well. If we got a lot of money in the bank, if we can pay our bills, that's how we know if we're doing well. If every seat is filled, that's how we know if we're doing well. Because it's a tangible thing that we can have an immediate answer to whether or not we are or aren't. At the end of the day, we can get in the car and drive and go, man, it was a good Sunday because there was a good offering and a good attendance. But that's not the biblical measure for success. 
Let's go back to the book of Ephesians. Hopefully you have your Bibles open. We put Bibles in every single seat, so if you don't have yours or you don't have a phone, uh, you can reach under your seat in the rack. There's a Bible there. Uh, You need to understand that the church in Ephesus was filled with some very real people. When I say real people, I mean not super Christians, okay? Ephesians 2 makes it clear that they were people who once lived, quote, lived like the rest of the world, following the passions and desires of our evil nature. These are real individuals who still remember what it was like not to follow Jesus Christ. This is who makes up the church. The oldest Christian in that church had only been a believer for about seven years. That was was the most lengthy, mature believer, seven years. And then a bunch of people, days, weeks, months, that had begun to follow Jesus. They were ordinary people who had relatively recently started following Jesus Christ and become part of the church. So we are receiving the teachings from the apostle to say, this is what it means to be the church. Because they were showing up saying, what do we do? People said we should go to church. I'm here. Now what? Different than us. We show up. We get our seat. We know Alex is going to sing three songs. We know Grant's going to have cufflinks. We know that Brian's going to preach. We we know that Pope's going to love Doritos. We kind of know the drill for church. People in Ephesus didn't know the drill. They didn't know what it was about. And so here we are receiving from Paul these very specific directions on what does it mean to follow Jesus and to be a part of something bigger than yourself. I I wonder how often do you want to be part of something bigger than you? Or are you okay with your world? Are you okay with just your understanding? Or is there a part of you that wants something bigger? Something that you don't understand? Something that you you can't even wrap your mind around. I hope so. I hope that's a desire of yours. And so in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is explaining what the leaders of the church are to accomplish. We have all of these, and we're not going to unpack each one. We have prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. We have all that. That's not an exclusive list. That's not a comprehensive list. That's just a few. They're scattered all throughout the Bible. The idea is that we have been given gifts in order to work for God, in order to serve our King. And Ephesians 2, it makes it clear that people that used to live like that are now turned into something different, and a lot of you are the same way. So what does that look like for us? Chapter 4, verses 12 through 13 says this. Their responsibility, in other words, those who have received spiritual gifts from God, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and to build up the church, the body of Christ, until we come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature and full-grown in the Lord, measuring up to the full stature of Christ." And if you read this verse carefully, if you read these verses carefully, you discover some facts that will completely change the way that we look at church. 
And if you're a young person in this room and you're, you maybe you're a couple of years out and then you'll be out on your own and you'll be looking for a church, then I hope this gives you some guidance for what to look for in a church. Because the fact is, the church is the body of Christ. Paul doesn't say it's like the body of Christ. It's not a metaphor. It is the body of Christ. I don't know, have you thought about that before? It's, it's not like uh, Paul is going, all right, picture this. No, he's given us a very definitive answer. You and I, as followers of Christ, are his body. Not like the body. In other words, when one of you is strong, I am strong. If one of you are weak, one of you is sick, I am sick. We feel for each other. We rejoice with each other. We serve with each other. We collectively are the body of Christ. We are the physical presence of Jesus Christ on this planet. Which is why I began by saying, hey, on Tuesday when you go vote, bring the peace of Jesus with you. The Bible says he's the Prince of Peace. Bring the Prince of Peace with you. You are the body of Christ in this world. Bring that with you and have the boldness that you can do such a thing. Because it's true. And he called us to serve the same way that he did. Our church, and I'd like to think Christ-following churches all over the world, have specifically the product summed up in two words, and that's this, spiritual maturity. That's our hope, that's our product, that's what we're shooting for. If you end up having a good time in the midst of that, icing on the cake. If you end up being happy in achieving that, icing on the cake, that's our priority. Is so that you can grow more spiritually mature. In everything that we do, my kids sometimes, usually on a Saturday when we're cleaning up the house, they'll say, this isn't fun. And I say, I don't care if it's fun. It needs to be done. Like sweepings, there's very few things that you can do to make sweeping fun. Or chiseling off uh, nachos off a plate because someone didn't soak it. There, it's not fun, but it needs to be done, right? Sometimes spirit, obtaining spiritual maturity, sometimes it's fun. Sometimes it comes by going through the fire. Sometimes it comes by going through the storm. Sometimes it comes with countless hours of tears. But the product, the thing we're shooting for, is spiritual maturity. Our product's also given in chapter 4, verse 13. It says this, We will be mature and full-grown in the Lord, measuring up to the full stature of Christ. We are in the life change business. That's why we exist. That's why what we do, we do. We aren't in the Bible knowledge business, just for the sake of Bible knowledge, so that you can win trivia night. We're not in the church program business so that we can highlight ourselves that we did great, huge, incredible programs. We're not in the attendance business 
so that we can say, hey, you know, Alex can attest to this, the, the most nauseating thing ever, and I was guilty of this when I was younger in ministry, I never do it now that I'm older, but one of the most nauseating things about ministry, pastors to pastors, is when you hear someone, you meet someone, and they go, how many are you running? How many are you running these days? So now I go, I don't know, like 4,000. Really? No. No, like four. But it is so easy to focus on attendance. It's so easy to focus on programs. How many programs did you run? How many people did you run? How much money did you bring in? Tangible ways to identify, are we being successful? God doesn't work that way. It's the same thing with parenting. My twins on a regular basis cause me to pull hair. I don't have the pull. If I looked at them the way the world does, I would say we are failing and so are they. But I don't view it that way. I sit down at the end of the night and I, and I deep, 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 deep views into their heart. And I can see God is doing something. But it's not what's visible here. It's, it can't be calculated. Why? Because we don't sell shoes. We, we're not, a, we're not a, a produce market. We can't calculate that way. And nowhere in Scripture do we see any example of doing such a thing other than to highlight the majesty of Jesus and His miraculous works. We're in the process of leading people to a growing relationship with Jesus to equip every person to become a more fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. That's why we exist. And we will do it one person at a time, one family at a time, one crisis, one celebration, one handshake at a time. We will never be the cool kids on the block, nor do we want to be. But we do want to produce, through the power of the Spirit, fully devoted followers of Jesus. I love what pastor and author Bill Hull has written. He says this, The wrong question for the church is, how many people are present? The right question for the church is, what are these people like? You with me? The goal that we have is to take people who may not believe, may not have even heard, want nothing to do with God and introduce them. Our goal is to take a new believer, a brand new believer. Hunt, I don't think Hunter's here. Uh, Hunter's not here this morning. Hunter, we baptized Hunter uh, a couple of years ago. He is now serving on our tech team. That's what, and he's growing. He's also involved on Sunday nights with our youth group. He is growing. And we also want to take someone who's maybe been a believer for their whole life for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years and ask, how do we help you grow closer to Jesus today in your life? Polly's 94. When do you turn 95? June? All right. Polly's going to be 95. We still want Polly to know her Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in a deeper way in June than she does today. Are you with me? That's what we want to do. 
Because here's what I don't want. I don't want you to take your last breath someday and look at Jesus and go, man, I know you died and I know you're all powerful, but man, I just, I don't really know you. I want you to get to heaven that day like Irv. I want you to sprint to the arms of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Sprint. And then leap and jump and embrace your King of Kings. This is the goal. That's our product. That's, that's why we're here. That's why Alex leads us in worship. You know that singing and worship, being led by a few people upstage, can bring you closer in your spiritual maturity? When Alex says, cup your hands, when Alex says, raise your hands, when Alex decides what song we're going to sing, do you realize you're being led into the presence of God? Aren't just singing some fun songs. Alex isn't a jukebox. But he's, he's helping produce the product. Your, your relationship. That's mind-boggling to me. Galatians chapter 4, verse 19, Paul says this, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains. Bold on Paul to say such a thing. I don't know a single male in this room going, ah, oh, man, it feels like labor. Like, <laughs> woe be to you. Paul can get away with it. I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again, and they will continue until Christ is fully formed in your lives. We talked about this the first few weeks. You are in Christ. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are in Christ. And being in Christ means a multitude of things that changes your life forever. For one, it means you're never alone. You know, in the last few weeks, we've had, uh, last four weeks, we've had two high schoolers from Monarch High School take their lives. Alone. One, we held a candlelight vigil here. All alone. So much pain, so much heartache, all alone. I sat with one of the, the fathers of those kids on Friday, and we shared coffee and a pastry together, and he just poured out his heart. And I just kept reminding him, you're not alone. He knows God. You're not alone. When you're in Christ, that changes everything. changes the culture around us. It, it changes you. It changes your perspective. It, it changes. You see, we exist as a church to take people and lead those people into a growing relationship 
with Jesus Christ until Jesus is fully formed in you and God says, your time is done. Some of you are seasoned in this room. I'll let you decide if that's you. There's more to be had. There's more of this God for you to be exposed to and fall in love with and stand in awe. And what Dan brought forth over the last couple weeks to force you to fall on your knees of what you see in this king. That's just cool stuff. Now, if our product is life change, then we need to look at the process that we're going to use to develop that life change. Because even if a church is clear on its product, which again is what? Spiritual maturity. That's, that's why we exist. Churches often misunderstand the process that's required to become spiritually mature. It's important for you to understand the process because Ephesians chapter 4, look with me at verse 12, says that every believer in the church is here to do God's work and, quote, build up the church, the body of Christ. This is your job. We do a really bad job. We focus so much on the salvation prayer that we don't say there's a job description attached to it. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is the best decision you could ever make. You, your future, your eternity is grounded in cement. It is unshakable. Your, your eternity is written in the book of life. But you have work to do. And that is to build up the church, the body of Christ. There's a misconception about how someone grows spiritually. One of them is that it's a matter of Bible knowledge. So take as many Bible studies as you possibly can, and that's going to help you become spiritually mature. Maybe, but not by itself. Maturity, according to the Bible, is demonstrated more by behavior than beliefs. In other words, if your faith hasn't changed your lifestyle at all, then your faith really isn't worth much in this present moment. Not that it doesn't, isn't worth anything, it just isn't worth much right now because you're not utilizing it. How many of you, I'll let you off the hook. It's the first day of the month, I'll be easy. How many of you know someone that has exercise equipment at home and they look at it? Any of you know someone like that? Not you, obviously, but you know someone. They have a treadmill, they have a bike, they have weights. They're covered with laundry. Not that I know that, I'm just saying, like, if you need to dry out a sweatshirt, an elliptical is a super great place for that. James chapter 2, verse 18 says this, I can't see your faith if you don't have any good deeds. How are, you how are you changed? How are you different? Maturity is more than just a matter of Bible knowledge. Some people think that maturity comes from attending church. If you attend church, then it's just a matter of time before you become mature. But spiritual maturity isn't automatic. Some of you know individuals that have gone to church their entire life and they are the same person today that they were 20 years ago. 
My grandparents, uh, the church that I grew up, uh, an old Presbyterian church in Springfield, Illinois, when we would go visit them, they had their seats in their pew. If you don't know what a pew is, Google it. It's not a cuss word. They had their pew and, and everyone in the church, and I'll go farther than that. I believe everyone in the state knew that was Don and Lillian West's pew. You don't sit in it. <clears throat> but that doesn't mean you become mature because you sat in it for 60 years. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12 says this, You have been Christians a long time now, and you ought to be teaching others, but instead you need someone to teach you against the basic things a beginner must learn about the Scriptures. Ouch. Spiritual growth isn't automatic. Some people think that spiritual growth is a private matter, that it's just a matter of trying harder through your individual efforts. I'm, I'm not going to sin as much this year. We're about to head towards New Year's resolutions. You say, well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to read five chapters every day for the rest of my life. We, we set ourselves up for these audacious plans as if that creates spiritual maturity. If you're anything like me, all it does is create disappointment. Why? Because that's not what God ever intended. He's more concerned with the heart. Now, someone's heart can be struggling, but they're still growing in maturity. You with me? That's important to remember. But the Bible says that we need relationships to grow. Not individuals off on an island. We need each other. The Bible says that spiritual growth is a team event, and it's a process that includes three ingredients. You're going to see them here on the screen. Salvation, that is accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The forgiveness that he offers you, embracing that, plus community. You're sitting in it right now. And disciplines, spiritual disciplines, all of these things, you add them all up, creates an equation that equals spiritual growth. You say, well, is that exhaustive? Is that everything? No, but these are the basics. That if you take salvation and, and put community with it and add some spiritual disciplines, over time there will be spiritual growth. See, once you enter into a relationship with Jesus through the Holy Spirit, that Holy Spirit begins to work in you, specifically giving you gifts to build up the body of Christ. Some of, all of us are born with innate skills. We're born that way. Some people, you know, how many of you know someone who's just funny? Like everything they say is just funny. They don't try they don't sit in front of the mirror uh, that morning and like do their like shtick. It just they're just funny. Others of you aren't. It doesn't matter how hard you try, you're never going to be funny. And that's okay. Those are God-given skills. But that's different than spiritual gifts. When we accept Jesus, God says, now I'm gonna give this gift to you. And God did that to me. When, when I accepted Jesus Christ, it was beyond clear that God gave me some spiritual gifts for his church that I did not have before I took him as my savior. 
And it wasn't just gifts of like, hey, go make a living, go get a job, go do whatever you want. It was, I have a plan for you, and it's for me. First Timothy chapter 4, 7 says, spend your time and energy training yourself for spiritual fitness. In other words, utilize your spiritual gifts. If you're a teacher, if you're a pastor, you're an, uh, an evangelist, utilize your skills to build up the church. Look for ways to grow that spiritual gift so that the church can be stronger. Train just like you would weights or or to play a certain sport, or some of you really love running for some crazy reason, like practice that and get better at that. It relates to spiritual disciplines. And the benchmark for success, stay with me, we're almost done here. The benchmark for success, according to Paul, for the church is spelled out right here in the Scriptures. Chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. The way we know if we're going to be successful as a church is then, quote, we will no longer be like children, forever changing our minds about what we believe. Instead, we will hold on to the truth in love, become more and more in every way like Christ. You want to know if you're succeeding in your family, discipling? Is, is verses 14 and 15 happening? You want to know if your relationship with Jesus is getting stronger? Are you tossed back and forth with the waves of this world? If you are still, you still have maturity. Are you still becoming more like Christ in every way? That's the benchmark for the church. And we see that in, in, in very, very briefly uh, a handful of pillars. Number one is that we're grounded. If you want to know if our church is, is healthy, then we are grounded. If you want to know if you and your spouse and your kids and your friends are healthy, then you're grounded. When spiritual growth takes place, people aren't easily swayed. Don't lose fret on Tuesday. Newsflash, if the person you adamant believe should and ought to be and must be president doesn't win, guess what? Wednesday will still happen, and you're going to be okay. Don't get swayed by the times. The enemy tries to get us to believe things that aren't actually true. The worldviews, the morals, the ethics that are in this world often can sound so good and so beautiful. But they're not in the Bible and they're not of God. Spiritual maturity rests in stability and the ability to know what's truth and what isn't. Number two, truth. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 15 says we will hold on to the truth. The word here is actually a verb. A better translation would be we will truth in the verb sense. In the Bible, truth is never just something that you believe in. Never in Scripture is a truth something that's just a cognitive behavior that you believe in the truth. It's something that you live out the truth. I believe this stage will hold me. I'm standing on the stage. So what is truth for you? 
And number three, love. We will hold on to this truth in love. Again, verse 15, when you're spiritually mature, it reflects in your relationships. Practice that this week. And if you want to stand out even more, practice that after the election. Find out the people who didn't vote like you and love well. Be peace. Be hope to those individuals. Those that don't agree about the virus, build bridges, bring peace. Don't create those wedges. It will change everything about your relationship. And and then finally, Jesus. We started, right? Started out by what's the answer in all of church? It's Jesus. It's the perfect answer. Becoming more and more like, in every way, like Jesus, who is the head of the body and the church. Verse 15. The ultimate mark of spiritual maturity is that we become more like Jesus. And you can't know more about Jesus to live like him if you're not in the word. You need to be reading about Jesus. And when you see him pause and talk to someone, then today you pause and talk to someone. Are you with me? We in the church make discipleship significantly too hard. See Jesus, do Jesus. He was kind. He talked to those who no one else would. So do that. He fed those who were hungry. Do that. He was patient and kind and loving. Do that. That's discipleship. The purpose of the church is life change. I make no bones about this. I want to see your life radically, not a little bit, radically changed, turned upside down for Jesus. I want you to take this message in one of two ways this morning. You might be here And you may, have, you may have never given your life fully to Jesus Christ as your Savior. Maybe you thought you did. But for some reason, it's beginning to click how much Jesus loves you. And it doesn't matter about what your morning was like or even last night. It matters right here, right now, you hearing the words of Jesus saying, I love you. And I died on the cross for you. And maybe you're here or maybe you're watching online and and you've never accepted that. In the church often we'll say, say the prayer to commit your life to Jesus Christ. To receive his forgiveness, to receive his love and then to ask, how am I to be gifted so I can build up the church? We want to give you an opportunity this morning to do just that. Or maybe you're here this morning or you're watching again online and you go, well, I'm a follower of Jesus. I've been saved and I've been trying to find a church on on where I can invest, where I can pour those God-given talents so I can build up the church so I can do exactly what Ephesians says. And maybe you've been shopping around at churches or watching us online and, and 
here's the reality. God needs you. This church doesn't exist without you. I'm going to embarrass Zach. Sorry, Zach. Zach has Batman shirt back there. Don't look at him. I've been so proud of Zach. Zach shows up every morning, works with the Pope, set up chairs so that your family has the right amount of chairs to sit together. And he's been working with the Pope doing that. Last week, I came in and said, hey, there used to be a table here. Zach, you know where that table is? He goes, yeah, it's in the back. I'm like, oh, how'd it get there? And he said, I put it back there because I felt like the table was a little too close to that table, so I decided to put it back and put two different chairs there. And Zach, I thought to myself, that's the church. Zach sees a need. He acts on it. And none of you ever knew. But he served faithfully behind the scenes. And, and the world would say, big deal, he moved a table into the lobby. God says, well done. You see, when we think about ligaments, some ligaments are significant to the body. If you've blown out an ACL, you get it. Some ligaments are super small and you can tear them and they'll heal themselves back. But they all make up the body. Zach has been gifted and he's utilizing it. It's amazing. Alan, Santa Claus, stands at the front door and greets every single one of you, but he also doesn't just greet, he makes sure that we're safe. He watches the parking lot. He watches after you. And he checks it twice. Thank you. Some of you, you'll get that later this afternoon. <laughs> that was so good. Come on. You know that Mimi shows up here? She weeds the whole front area. She plants all these creations that that are like Jack and the Beanstalk and the planters and beautifies the area. Karina Mendenhall holds a, a ton of stuff to go to Mexico in her house and her, her and her kids and her husband put up with it for months on end. Lori loves people that are hurting and, and needing an ear. All of these you don't even know about. Isn't that crazy? These guys on the camera, do you guys even realize how much work it takes and, and skill? Hi, Asher, my man. Come here. All right. I'll come to you, Asher. That kid's a stud, man. You realize Kyle's back from college running sound? My daughter's Naomi is in the other room working with the kids. Miranda loving our kids and loving this church. I know we're long. I, I apologize. I, it is just so important for me that you understand you matter. That God doesn't just love you, just that alone would be fantastic. 
but he loves you and then says, you can work with me. Not in the dungeon, not in the basement, not away from the CEO, right next to the man in charge. You are special. You have been gifted. And our job as a church is to find those things out and then help you utilize them. And we celebrate all of that truth by the Lord's table. <laughs> we get to come and sit right next to Jesus. And he says, as, as often as you take this bread and you drink this cup, you do so in remembrance of me. You remember that my body was broken. You remember that my blood was shed. Why? So that there's a new covenant. Not only do you have access to the Holy of Holies, you have access to me at any given moment and I'll work with you so that you can do things that you have no power to do, but because of my Holy Spirit, I will train you up and empower you to do things you can't even dream of. You will speak to multitudes, Tara. That's God. That's the church. That's our church. I hope you're proud of that. As you come to the table, uh, there's a table in the lobby for you folks. Uh, as you come up here to these tables, throw your mask on, please. Go back. I, I've heard from a number of you. I know the wafers aren't great. As much as you can, channel Jesus. But remember his sacrifice and his love for you. Let's pray together. God, we love you. Thank you for communion. Thank you for worship. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for guitar skills and drumming skills and singing skills and, and greeting and camera and teaching and the body of Christ in this world. It is not going to hell in a handbasket, God. We declare that. This is your world. You are redeeming it. You are saving it. You are making it better and better and better. If we keep our eyes on you, we will see that, that the church is getting stronger and stronger with individuals who are fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. What an honor. So sit with us now as we take in communion and continue our time in worship, we pray. In the name of Jesus and by the power of your Holy Spirit, under the watchful eye of God the Father. We pray in 